if you uh, came on your, on your, at your own will, it's good to be here. If you got drug here, you might as well just lean in. Uh, our services only last two and a half hours, so we'll be done this pretty quick. Hey, why don't you stand? We're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're talking about shaping. Our vision is serve, save, shape our world uh, for Jesus Christ. And um, we talked about uh, the church serving our community and, and giving us an opportunity to present the gospel. We talked about uh, God's grace and salvation. And now we're talking about shaping people into committed servants. And so we talked about community last, uh, last week and how important community is in shaping. And so um, I want to talk about something that's not real popular uh, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Are you ready? Say amen if you're ready. Amen. Everybody still here? Okay. Matthew chapter 7. You can read it on the screen. If you've got a paper Bible, you can open that up. You can use your phone. You can go to the Bible app and you can find the notes on there as well. So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1. Some of you are already getting sweaty. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you can clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Father, we thank you this morning. We have the opportunity together here today, Lord, to look into your word and have it renew our minds. We pray that at the end of our time together, we'd be different because we, we didn't just hear it, but we applied it. So God, we pray that because we were here together, because we applied your word, your gospel will go forward. And Lord, we thank you for including us on it. Change us today and make us more like Christ. It's in his mighty name we pray, and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. I grew up in the um, 80s and 90s, and uh, in the 80s and then the early 90s. I got married in 1996. And uh, I remember listening to Tupac, Anybody else? Don't be so, so enthusiastic about that. I remember him saying these words, only God can judge me. And I remember thinking at the time, I grew up in church thinking, oh, that's not a good statement to me. We live in a culture now where that is the norm. That's just not an entertainer saying that, that we're not allowed to judge anybody ever about anything. That uh, you can't, criticize. You can't present an alternative solution. You can't say anybody did anything wrong. You can't disagree. Uh, and what happens is we take this portion of scripture uh, out of context and we, we actually quote the King James version of the scripture. And we say, judge less, or don't judge, has, judge lest not you be judged. So the issue comes in is that um, that's, not, that's absolutely not correct. 
that actually, as the body of Christ, throughout the New Testament, we are actually encouraged to judge. Anybody get nervous? But what has happened in our culture is that everybody gets to decide what's right for their, their own purposes. So if there's any absolute truth held up to that, then you're, then you're all the things. So we're going to talk about this today in the, in the, in the light of shaping people, because if, if we are called to shape people, if we're called to what we've been saying, the, the Christian word disciple people, if we've been called to make disciples of Christ, then there has to be, there has to be an absolute truth of what that looks like. Amen. So then we, then we're called as believers to shape people into that truth, not rearrange the truth so that everybody fits. You're with me. I think I just heard a lot of people go. So Matthew's recording this teaching as part of Jesus' larger sermon on the Mount. You may have heard it. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. But the sermon on the Mount goes way past what we call the Beatitudes. Jesus talks about everything. This was a sermon that if you went to had like 50 points, not a popular way to preach today. Everybody would say, well, you can't write all that down. Jesus is going to take too many pages of notes. Jesus was like, I'm covering it all. He had just called his disciples. He's taken them. He had just, been, he had just healed a bunch of people and cast out. And now he's got them all there. And he's like, we're going to get a lot of this stuff knocked out today. This is your Believer's 101 class. And I'm covering it all. Murder, adultery, We wait way later to cover that stuff because we want people to come back. He covers it all. Prayer, money. And here in chapter 7, he covers judging other people. So essentially what Jesus is saying is he's saying, judge, just not that way. He's saying, judge, but don't be judgmental. And that's really important for us to get because what we do, what we do is we tend to withdraw from making an assessment of people that God has called us to make. Amen. So he says, do not judge or you too will be judged for the same way you judge others. You will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if we look down through just the new Testament, I'm not talking about old Testament. If he steals Lapis hand off, I'm talking about in the period of grace The New Testament actually calls us to judge circumstances and people over and over and over again. Are you ready? Paul writes to the Corinthians in his first letter. And he says, when when disputes arise between believers, they should be settled in the church. Well, how do you settle a dispute? You set up a boxing ring in the middle and you put both of them in there. You're like, the last one standing wins. No, there has to be a sober judgment in the body of Christ to be able to judge which which side of the dispute is right? Amen? Paul actually says it's good sometimes to have conflict so you can know what the right thing is. Some of you conflict averse people just start, what? What? The Bible says conflict? It's fine. Because you need to have sober judgment about what's going on around you. Not everything is right. And not everyone is right. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes you're wrong. 
Oh, I'm going to start a fight before the service is over. I'm trying really hard. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes you're wrong. Now look back at him and say, sometimes I'm right. And if you prayed more, you'd see it. The local church is to judge serious sins of its members. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And take appropriate action. Did you hear that? We're supposed to be looking out for each other. Believers are to, oh, I read this in the first service, then I thought I might leave it out in this one. But I'll, I'll say it. Believers are to judge the doctrinal teaching of the teachers and preachers of the word of God. Do you know what that means? You should not just come in here, sit down, second service at 945 and go, oh man, he's inspired by the Lord and I just believe everything he says. You should go back and check. You should look into the scripture and judge whether what I'm telling you is scriptural or not. Hey, stop looking at my sneakers and listen to what God is saying and then look in the scripture. I'll get to that later. Christians have to discern if others are believers in order to obey Paul's command, 2 Corinthians. Your works will prove out what you believe and the Bible calls us to assess the works. That's making a judgment. It tells us, Paul tells Timothy to judge which men have qualifications to become leaders. You have to make a judgment about that. So what we do is we take Jesus' words out of context. Judge not lest you be judged. And, and, and when somebody, oh, well, you can't, you can't judge that. You can't, that's, you can't say that. You, you can't have an opinion about that. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's saying judge in the right way. Amen? Judge in the right way. So it's a myth to say that Christians aren't supposed to judge. The, in, the, in the Gospels and the period of grace in the New Testament, Paul and the apostles are writing that we should be judges of things. Some of you are like, I knew it. It's a gift I have. I'm so good at it. Jesus used the reaping and sowing symbolism to illustrate why it's so important to judge correctly. So this is used throughout the whole Bible, this reaping and sowing illustration where he says, whatever you, whatever, listen, naturally, whatever you put in the ground is what you're getting back. He says, this, this works every time. You know how this works. So if you, if you sow ju- the incorrect judgment, that's what you're going to teach people how to do. So remember, we're talking about shaping people into committed servants. So if we judge incorrectly, if we judge unrighteously, if we judge in a way that that caused us to be a hypocrite, then he says, that's what you're going to teach people how to do. Do do you remember hearing, maybe growing up, you heard, do what I say. (sighs) Don't do this, boy. So the issue is we're teaching people. So it's not good enough to stand up and say, we shouldn't, 
we should judge correctly. You have to actually judge correctly in order to teach somebody how to do it. You have to, you have to model the example because Jesus says, whatever you put in the ground, listen, church, it's what you're going to get out. You can't be judgmental and not get judgmental back. So if we teach judgmentalism and hypocrisy, if that's the example that we put forth, get ready. That's what you're going to get because people mimic who they follow. Amen. You can, (laughs) I remember my parents, I've talked till I'm blue in the face. And I thought, why did you talk that long? Didn't matter all the time what people are saying. We're following what they're doing. So we're reaping what we sow. Judgmental family, be careful what you're sowing. Why are my kids so judgmental? I'm going to let you connect the dots there. So Jesus is teaching, listen, you, you got to be careful. You, you need to be a little careful how you do this. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm telling you in the manner which you do it is really important because it's a necessary thing for you to do, but I need you to get it right. I need you to get it right. And so what we've done is we've just thrown it all out. Can, can I say this to you? I can take any position out there and I can prove it with one scripture. If I take one scripture and pluck it out of the Bible, I can support any position you want to have. And that's what people have done with this scripture. They pulled one scripture out and then we said, don't judge lest you be judged. And so it's all off limits. So I can support anything like that. The problem is you're not called to read one scripture. You're called to renew your mind with the whole word. Amen. So I believe in the verse of the day. It's great, but you can't live your life on the verse of the day because the verse of the day can be taken out of context just as quick as it is to read it. So it's important to go back and read the whole, apply the whole word of God to our lives to understand how, well, I read that this morning. Don't judge. So I'm not going to judge anybody. That's not what he said. So he said, he's saying judge, but not like that. And he sets it up. However you do this, it's the way you're going to get it back. However you be the example is the way you're going to give it back. And then he starts telling a great story. Jesus used hyperbole all the time to prove points. He was being dramatic to prove the point. So he said, remember, whatever you put in the ground, you're going to get it back. Whatever example you are, that's what you're going to receive back. So then he says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Oh, so you know what he said there? Don't overlook your thing to see somebody else's thing. Don't overlook your thing to see somebody else's thing. So I I worked at construction for a long time. uh, And even building this church, I got, I got sawdust in my eye. I'm not politically correct. I don't wear safety glasses. Sorry. And so every now and then I got a piece of sawdust in my eye. Jesus though is saying, 
that that, that, that speck of dust in your eye, that, that thing in your eye is an irritant. And it's an irritant to the person in there. But he uses this hyperbole and he says, but the issue is you actually have like a two by four sticking out of yours. Now I've been in construction a long time. I've never had a two by four sticking out of my eye. I've never walked up to the guy and went, dude, is there anything you can do with this? How'd that happen? I don't know. I was just cutting it. The whole two by four flipped up with my eye. So he's using hyperbole saying, listen, what, what we have the potential to do is look past the thing to see the thing in somebody else. Remember what you sow is what you're going to get back. So he says, don't look past your thing to see somebody else's thing. It's the plank versus the speck. It's this, it's this picture of, of like, there's a problem here and we're ignoring it to address a problem over here. And that's where the whole thing gets wonky. He's, he's saying, judge yourself first and then use that standard that you used on yourself with other people. Because I, can I be transparent with you a little bit? Well, I got a lot of grace for me. Not much for you. Anybody else like that? Just be real. I can be like, Lord, can you forgive me for that? It's only been like 7,643,000 times. And like, I'm barely, I'm barely entering into your grace yet. I mean, you said forever. And then your thing pops up and I go, you better think about forgiving them about that. I mean, this is like a repeat offender. So I'm bathing in God's grace and not giving any room for you because I'm easy on myself. I don't even see it sticking out anymore. I don't even see it causing issues anymore. I don't even see how it affects my life. I don't even see how, like, like, can I let you in on a secret though? Everybody already knows. You can't walk around with a two by four sticking out of your head and people not notice. So here's what happens when you judge people that way, they go home and say, I can't believe they don't see their own life. That's the conversation that happens. He almost knocked me down in the foyer with the two by four sticking out of his eye. And he wanted to say something about the way I was driving. You know it's there, and the issue is everyone else knows it's there as well. So James chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after he looked at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He's got this repeating short-term memory issue where, where okay, that's what, I'm, that's what I look like, and he walks away, can't, can't remember. Here's, here's the crazy part. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that the word of God can produce faith in your life. But then when we read James, we understand that the only way faith is produced in your life, you take the word of God and apply it. That's why I said this first service and I thought about editing it, but I'm not. That's why you can sit in church 10 years and never change. You can hear the word of God, hear the word of God, hear the word of God, hear the word of God. And the plank can be sticking straight out. And you go, that's not me. 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 And nothing happens. 
He said, you can hear the word of God and still be deceived. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, the thing's sticking out. It's causing you trouble. Do not overlook it. Do not set it aside. Do not act like it's not there. It's causing trouble in your relationships. It's causing trouble because guess what? If it's sticking out, it makes distance between you and someone else. It makes distance between like, Hey man, I'd like to shake hands with you, but that thing, (laughs) Whoa, you might want to deal with that this week. Oh, I don't see anything. I don't know what's wrong. What are you talking about? I don't have any issues. You're the one with issues. Matter of fact, let me talk to you about your issues. Well, I would, but I can't stop staring at that two by four in your face. So he's saying, James is saying, look, it's not enough just to listen to the word of God. I know it's cool. We've got podcasts and we've got all these things. It's the act of applying it to your life that pulls it out. It's the application part. It's the application part. Knowledge is pointless without application. Amen? You'll just be really good at trivial pursuit. Nothing else. So we need to look into the word of God and apply it to our lives. To lead someone else, you have to deal with your thing first. Deal with your thing first. Look at your neighbor and say, you deal with your thing, I'll deal with my thing. We're going to do that first. We're going to do that first. I'm making a... What if we... What if we made commitments to each other? I promise I'll deal with my thing. I promise I'll deal with my thing. I've been looking into the word of God and a thing popped up out of the word of God. And I'm going to apply the word of God to my life, deal with my thing before it becomes a plank in my eye. Because what I want to teach people is not to be judgmental, but I want to teach people how to get healthy. And if I teach them to look into the word of God and apply it and pull the thing out before it becomes a plank, then I can make an example. And so when I, when I look into your life and say, Hey man, you better be careful about that. They go, Oh, he's already pulled that plank out. So we come in a place of experiencing God's grace, not just being judgmental. So he says, Don't overlook your thing. He calls them hypocrites. This is a, this is a touchy subject. I I hear this. I even heard it. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. You may be right. But, but the definition of hypocrite has gotten pretty wide. We're all faulty people. There's no amens because some of you just realized that. That's fine. You're like, wait a second. We're all sinful people. The word hypocrite indicates that you get the order wrong. Do you understand that? The, all hypocrite means is you got it out of order. Watch this. Judge yourself first and then that makes you It gives you the standing to then apply that to someone else. When you get that backwards, you become a hypocrite. Because the issue is when you find out somebody criticized you or somebody critiqued you, and then you look at their life and figure out they haven't dealt with it yet, that's when you say the words hypocrite. 
If you, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey man, look, I've dealt with the exact same thing that you're dealing with. And I've took it to the cross and the grace of God and the shed blood of God washed me white as snow. And I am clean now. And I can come to you humbly and in great concern because I know the path that you're taking and it's dangerous and I want to help. And nobody calls that a hypocrite. It's because they got the order right. It's not because they're perfect. And I might add in there sometimes, and I might still cuss a little bit too, just to clear the slate. We can work on that together. I was talking about another pastor. I don't know about that. Surgery requires clear sight and a steady hand. Clear sight and a steady hand. Imagine scheduling a surgery and laying down, then prepping you, see the doctor come in, all eye all busted up, shaking. You'd be looking around going, really? No, man, I can do this. I'm working on you, not me. When you're shaping people, Sometimes it requires surgical precision because you're not, you're not playing around with Legos. You're playing around with people. And if you build a Lego set and you don't like, you just tear it down. If you shape a person for 10 years, you can't just tear it down. It requires a surgical precision. And Jesus is advocating that. He's saying, listen, make sure you can see clearly. Because what you're getting ready to do requires precision. So he, I love it that he used the eye. He didn't say, like, set your arm before you set their arm. Because have you ever seen a doctor set an arm? They're like, you hold the shoulder and on the count of three, I'm going to yank it. And the doctor goes, one, two, bang. And he just pulls and he tricks you and you're like, what? Just sets that thing. That's not the illustration Jesus used. He used the illustration of getting a, a speck out of your eye, which requires clear sight, steady vision. It requires preciseness. It requires a precision. It requires you to be gentle. If you get some in your eye and you go to the, go to wash it out, you turn the water on easily. You don't call 911 and say, hey, bring the pump truck, man. I got a speck of dust in my eye. You don't do that. Use precision to get it cleaned out. So what happens? Paul writes to the Galatian church and he says in chapter six, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit. What is he indicating there? I wish he didn't even put that in there because it'd be a lot easier just to catch people in sin and set the arm. Wouldn't it be a lot easier? Man, we deal with sin around here. We just get it taken care of. How do you deal with it? We just, we just beat on them until they straighten up. We just get it done. Why is there only 20 people in your church? We beat them all till they left. But there ain't no sin in them anymore. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit... Paul is indicating that you took the word of God, applied it to your life, cleared your eyesight, and now you can with precision deal with somebody else. 
restore that person, you say it gently. Gently. Restore them gently. How are we going to shape people? With blunt force? It's never going to work. It's never going to work. We restore people by coming alongside of them because the spirit of God has dealt with us and we applied it to our lives. Like James says, we've looked into the word, the spirit of God quickened it and we looked into it and applied it to our lives. And we went, that thing in me has to get dealt with first and we pick it out. And then when we see that same thing in somebody else, we go, I know how much pain that causes. I know how much that hurts. I know how hard it is to live with that thing. I know how difficult, I know how it affects a family. I know how it affects you at your job. I know why, because it was in my eye one time and, but by the grace of God, it would still be there. So then when I approach you, let me put that, put that verse back up. I, I need to, I need to talk about something for just a second. If someone is caught in a sin, <laughs> You know what most of us think about caught in a sin? The woman caught in adultery. I caught him. Come in, pastor, I caught him. I caught him in the act. That's weird. And you probably shouldn't have been there. That's weird. When my wife and I first got married, I, I, um, I worked loss prevention and I would dress up like a normal person and catch people shoplifting. It was exhilarating. It was. Blood's pumping. You're wrestling a guy. This was like 1996. You're wrestling a guy, making eight bucks an hour, stealing a dollar fifty pack of cigarettes. And all of a sudden you wake up and you go, what am I doing? But the blood's pumping and you're like, yeah, you're coming back in with those cigarettes, buster. Catching them is not restorative. I don't want to catch my kids sinning. I don't want to, I don't want to catch them. I want to restore them when they're caught up in it. Read it again. Caught in a sin. It's like an unassuming fly landing, landing in a spider web and going, oh, I don't know if I can get out of this. If the church would stop looking at people in the sense of catching them and look at people in the sense of releasing them. Oh, come on. I'm tired of catching people. I'll be honest. I don't want to catch people anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to catch my kids. I want to see them restored. I I don't want to, I don't want to walk in on it. I don't want to. I don't want to, did you hear what so-and-so did? No, 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 no. What are we doing? We're not catching people. We're shaping people. So I want to, I want to give hope and grace and mercy, all those things that I've received. So I come at it from this point of view. I've been caught in that spider web before. I looked into the word of God, applied it to my life and the grace of God cleansed me and washed me. And now I'm free and now I'm steady enough and I got enough precision to look into your life with love and gentleness and say, don't do it. And here's how you can be restored. And here's how, if you've already done it, here's how you can get grace and mercy. And let's go to the throne of grace together. 
You know what? Pointing at people is a lot different than putting your arm around them. It's just different. And if we're going to shape people, it won't come at the end of a finger. It'll come with a hug. Jesus is not saying, don't judge people. He's saying, get the order right and do it the right way. There's a standard church and it hasn't changed. I'll say it again. There's a standard and it hasn't changed. And we need to hold people up to the standard that God put in front of us. So it's not about catching people. It's saying, listen, you're missing the opportunity. You're missing the potential that God put in you. You're missing it. And we want to restore. We don't want to catch you. You've already been caught. We're coming alongside of you to restore you gently now. With clear sight. Steady hands. Precision that it takes. It's always easier when you have a clear conscience. Amen? Always easier when you have a clear conscience. The band's going to come up. We're going to wrap this up. Listen. I want us to be shaping people like that's, that's all, that's what we do. Paul tells, Paul tells the Philippian church. He says, listen, whatever you've seen me do, he said in Philippians, Philippians chapter four, they'll put it up there. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. But then he says this, whatever you've learned or perceived or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, put it into practice. He said, I want, I'm shaping you. I want you to do what I've done. I want you to watch me and, and hear me and, and follow my example. In another, in another letter, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. The last thing the world needs is to follow us and then figure out we haven't dealt with it. They needed to have a confidence that whatever they're facing, that the church has dealt with it. Amen? That if we're calling people to be more like Christ, then we've dealt with it. But I don't want to leave it at just like that because, because you deal with it and then guess what happens? If you're like me, you got to deal with it again. Come on, shake your head. Yes. Make me feel better. If you're like me, you deal with it. And then what happens is you deal with it again. It might not be this week. It might be six months from now. It might be five years from now. And that thing pops back up and you're like, Lord, I thought I dealt with that. But I'm going to tell you something. That guy could get on Jesus's nerves. And it hits me one more time. Oh, I got to deal with it. So it's the process of becoming like Christ and being willing to clear the eye, clear the eye, clear my eye, clear my eye, clear my eye. It's not just a one-time event. It's the process of becoming more like Christ. So when people that don't know Christ see us, they go, hey, that's, that's a group of people that deal with it. They're not hiding anything. They're not covering up anything. 
they just deal with it. They just deal with it. And so then when we say, hey, like Paul did, why don't you follow me? Come on, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all right, but here's my commitment. When I blow it, I'm gonna deal with it. So why don't we walk this walk together? I'll make you this commitment. When I blow it, I'll deal with it. When you blow it, let's deal with it. Amen? And then we walk with people towards Jesus. Walk with people towards Jesus. Walk with people towards Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray that this morning. Shape people. Whatever you sow in is what you're going to get back out. We want to shape people with grace and gentleness and precision. But to do that, we got to shape ourselves first. So can we pray that way this morning? Maybe it's been a while since you repented. Maybe it's been a while since you asked for forgiveness. That's fine. Today's an opportunity. Don't walk away and forget who you are today because the word is being applied to our hearts. And all we have to do is say, God, you've spoken to me today and there's that thing you're putting your finger on. There's that thing you're pointing out in my life and I'm just gonna deal with it right now. I'm not gonna put it off anymore. I'm not gonna blame anyone else. I'm not gonna act like it's not there. I'm gonna deal with it today. And we can do that. And when we deal with it, then it gives the example so we can, so other people can deal with it. So Father, we ask. We submit ourselves to your grace this morning, Lord. You're a patient, kind, loving Father. So we ask today that you forgive us. Lord, you said start with ourselves. Start, we're starting in the house today, Lord. We're going to shape other people. We want to be the example that they look towards, God. And so we ask you to deal with us. Deal with that thing that we've been ignoring. Deal with that thing today that's been holding us back. Deal with that thing, Lord. And Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us. We ask that you'd wash us. We ask that you'd heal us. We ask that you'd you transform us today, Lord. Make us free from that thing. Whatever it is, make us free today, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that as we receive your grace, we'd be an example for someone else. Do it for your glory today. Lord, we thank you for it. We have this confidence that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of those very things. Do it today, Lord. Make us whole. And Lord, let us be the example that other people can follow. Thank you for it today. And it's in your precious and mighty name we pray. Everyone said, come on, give him praise and honor. Come on, if you've received forgiveness today, you should be thankful for it. Amen? Amen? Hey, why don't you turn around and encourage somebody? Why don't you let them know that you've been forgiven? And we'll see you back here next week.